Amen. Thank you, Austin and worship team. If you have a copy of God's Word, meet us uh, there in Luke 12, uh, starting in verse uh, 16. Welcome to Journey once again. My name is uh, Daniel. I get the opportunity of serving here as lead pastor and teaching God's Word uh, this morning. We're in a two, uh, a sec- part two of a three-week series that we're calling Trust Transfer. We're looking at this one passage in the Gospel of Luke from Luke 12. Uh, last week we looked at verses 13 through 15, uh, and this week is kind of the middle portion of that. And we've been framing up this series based on who Jesus talks to. Last week I kind of gave an outline for the series of, we talked last week all about Jesus' one sentence to one man. Because this one man had a real life question about trust. And Jesus spoke directly to him. And this week you're going to see that Jesus speaks to the crowds. And if you just turn one page in your Bible and look in Luke 12, 1, you see that there's thousands, many thousands that Luke says are gathered there to hear Jesus' teaching. And then next week, Jesus turns his attention to just his disciples. And we've been treating ourselves like the individuals that Jesus is talking to. Like, G, like we're sitting in the crowd listening to the teaching of Jesus. Last, last week, we were the one man who stood up and had a real life question about why we need to trust God or how we can trust God. Because trust in our lives is a word we use a lot. We're familiar with this word. And it's a, another word that is uh, interchangeable with the word faith in the Bible. We need to learn to trust Jesus But trusting Jesus isn't just this ethereal pie in the sky prayer that we throw up that it's philosophical, it's all in our head and we're hoping to go to the good place, not the bad place one day when we die. But rather trust has handles, it's tangible in our everyday life and we want to learn to trust Jesus, not just with our eternal destiny in heaven and not hell, but every day with all of our life with our future, our career, our families, our relationships, our finances, decisions that we make on an everyday basis. We wanna learn to trust him and not other things. And so with that in our mind, let's look at what Jesus teaches to the crowd. And if you remember last week, we talked about just one other housekeeping note before I read this scripture again is Jesus talked about to the man that he needed some deformation before he could be conformed in the image of Christ. That he had to come against some of these things. And that's what you're going to see again this morning. Luke 12, 16. I'll read it once again. And he told them this parable. A parable, just so you know, is a story with a point. It's a story with a point. And so Jesus is getting to the punchline in verse 21. The story at the point. Here's the story. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns. I will build larger ones and there will store up all of my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night, Your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Let's pray. Jesus, with this difficult teaching from you, we want to take you at your word. 
and learn to trust you with all that we are. Not just segmented pieces of our lives, but everything that we are. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts, apply these words to us. Help us, Jesus. In your name, amen. In 2005, the, day, uh, the author, David Foster Wallace, gave a commencement address at Kenyon College in Ohio. And he titled this address, This is Water. With the premise being that there were fish don't know that they're in water. Rather, it's just the environment that they live in. Until one day, uh, an older, much wiser, much larger fish swam up to two smaller fish and said, how's the water? And they were like, what? And in this address, he gets to this climax. If you know anything about David Foster Wallace and his speeches and his writings, where he talks about the deeper meaning of life. And in this section of his speech, he talks about worship. And he says this, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. And he goes on to do this very masterfully artistic, different depictions of other things we could worship, like beauty or sexual lure, our bodies, our our, uh, physical fitness, our power, our intellect, finances, our career, all these different things. He starts going through this list. And so I'm just kind of giving you this overview synopsis of this very large section of his speech. And he comes to this crescendo with this point. He picks up and he says, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's they're unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that's what you're doing. This is water. And you see in Luke 12, Jesus tells this story with a point about this wealthy landowner who has a good year, has a bumper crop, if you will, and and his source of income produces tenfold. And he's swimming in this water of, of just abundance. But this man ultimately believes two lies. And with this idea of this abundance in his mind, he responds like this. It's a very popular verse, verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample good laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. You see, this response for us in and of itself is not even sinful or bad. If you have a good year or you end up on a job that produces really well and you do really well for yourself, the response of relax, eat, drink, enjoy life, we would be like, good for them. A little pride in our heart and, you know, uh, 
words I'm slipping here, and this, this, this resentfulness towards this other individual, maybe secretly down envy, you know, but like, you know what? Good for them. That's a response we would have. But Jesus points out in his rebuke that there's actually two lies this individual believes in his conclusion statement. The first is this, abundance that he had equaled value. That his abundance in his life equaled value. And what I mean by value is that the more I have, the more I am. The more I have, the more valuable I am to others and to society. The more I have, the more good I can contribute to the world. And if this isn't a lie you may think you believe, this is at least how the world feels like it works. And this is the lie that David Foster Wallace in his This Is Water is pushing against. That the abundance equals value. And the reality for us is no matter what income status any of us are on, from poor sliding scale all the way to the uber wealthy and rich, the reality for most of us in this room is we probably believe this lie like this man did, that the abundance equals value in our life. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much money you make or how much money you don't make in your life. That we've believed this at some level. If you've ever had the thought in your mind like, man, it would be really nice if I could just get to this level of income and then I could afford that. That would, that would be I had arrived. You struggle with this tension of believing that abundance equals value. If you've ever had the thought looking at someone else's highlight reel on social media or uh, telling you about a vacation they just took, like, man, that'd be nice. Struggle with this tension of thinking abundance equals value. Or if you've ever had the opposite extreme of those of thinking, I can go anywhere at any time, do anything that I want. I'm comfortable. I have no wants or needs unmet. You struggle with this tension thinking abundance equals value. It is the water that we swim in is Americans, Christians or not. We struggle with this thinking that what we trust in is what we can hold on to. And that's the thing that gives your life and my life value. The second lie this individual believed in in the relax the very first word that comes out of his mouth when he says soul relax he believed that his abundance equals security that he could actually breathe finally because he had arrived or achieved or his abundance had produced enough security in his life and we believe this lie all the time that as long when I can get to whatever this is whatever this is for you of being self-sufficient That the more I have, the more secure I feel. The more secure my family will be. The more secure I will be as an individual. But this is a lie because often people with more things feel like they have more things to protect. We don't actually feel more secure. We feel more burden-filled. But this man had relax. Finally. Abundance. I'm secure. And with all this heaviness and in our mind of thinking, okay, but what's the point here? Where's the guilt trip? I want to propose a question in your mind. 
Before we break down the rebuke of Jesus, of what he was getting after in this man's heart, or the crowd, if you will, that he was speaking to, what did he actually want for the crowd? Not from the crowd, but for the crowd. What did Jesus, teaching this story with the point, actually want for them, but not from them? What did he want for them? Let's look at the punchline together. The last verse in the, where we stop, verse 21. So it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That's the punchline. Verse 21 is the punchline. And if you flip this verse, if you will, or invert this verse to say the tension or the rebuke is them not being rich towards God, then what Jesus wanted for everyone he was speaking for is for them to be rich towards God. That's what Jesus wanted for everyone he was speaking to in the crowd. He desired for them to be rich towards God. To be rich by definition is to be plentiful supplied. To be supplied with no needs. And the problem in this story, the rebuke in this story is not that the man was wealthy. Notice that Jesus never rebuked the rich man for being rich, for him having bumper crop, for him having possessions in in general. He never rebukes any of those things. He exclusively rebukes him saying, soul, what can I do towards self? He exclusively condemns not the wealth, not the abundance, and not the land. He exclusively condemns the fact that the man sees all his abundance for him. He said, is wealthy for himself, who lays up treasure for himself. That's the rebuke. Because this man couldn't see beyond this world. This man couldn't see beyond himself. So what is life? If the two lies this man would believe was that his abundance equals his value and his abundance equals his security, what is value and security? Jesus says, it's being rich towards God. It's to know, be known by, and join in the activity of your creator. That life and life to the full doesn't start when we leave this life and head to the next one. But life and life to the full starts right now, has the potential to start right now as we are being known by and seeking to know and join the work of our creator. What is the meaning of life? It's to be rich towards God. Because Jesus, in an earlier point, In the gospel of Luke, when people are seeking to follow him in Luke 9, he says, this is what it means to follow me. Chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Forever would save his life will lose it. Forever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And loses or forfeits himself. So what does it mean to live? Follow me. Deny yourself. 
take up your cross daily and follow me. What's interesting here in Luke 12 and in Luke 9, there's two words that are actually the same word. The word soul in Luke 12, where the man in the parable says, soul, what should I do? And when Jesus in Luke 9 says, lose your life, the word life in Luke 9 and the word soul that's used in Luke 12 are the actual exact same original word. And Tim Keller commenting on this one word in these two passages says, this word is deliberately chosen. It's where we get our English word psyche, where we get our other word psychology, which denotes our identity, our personality, and our full selfhood. Everything it means to be us. And Jesus' instructions for us to deny ourself is to deny our comforts, our wants, as not actually the most important thing in our lives. Because in Luke 12, the man's wealth isn't the issue. It's what he desired to do with his wealth and abundance was the issue. Because he saw the value and the security in his life as what he could provide, what could, he could have in his hands. And that's when God interjects and says, you fool. You've missed the point. You've missed it. Because biblically, a fool is someone who lives without regard to God in life. That he had missed the meaning and purpose of life altogether. And Jesus speaking to this crowd, what he wants for them is don't miss the meaning of life. Don't trust in something that can never come through for you. You see, this man had no bigger plans for his wealth than his own enjoyment. And then he was removed from the equation... And he says, what's going to happen now to the stuff that you've prepared or exerted all of your energy towards in your life? You've put all this energy, all this effort, and all this to finally live. And now there's nothing. Now you can't enjoy it. So the question for us in our lives is, is this, is, do you live like a fool or a wise person? Because the reality for all of us is we can't do both of these things simultaneously. You can't live like a fool and live like a wise person. It's impossible. It's an oxymoron. You, can't, you just can't do it. And when it comes with what we trust in our lives, what do you actually trust like, what is the thing that you say, value, security in my life is found here? Value and security in my life are, are in this location. This is what helps me have peaceful sleep. Or if I was thinking in my life, I'm, I'm really living now. I can relax, eat, drink, be merry. I can just live What's the precursor to that? Because the water that we swim in, the reality is, is we're much like this rich fool. We believe the lie that abundance would equal value and abundance would equal security in our lives. What would it look like for you? 
for you statisticians out there wondering where we're at as a country, since post-COVID, 63% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And one out of 10 of those actually make over six figures as an annual salary. One out of 10 making six figures as an annual salary still live paycheck to paycheck. If you could just get right there, if you could just get over that line, we could breathe. I don't know. 59% of those in that salary range, six figures or above, say that they live in the red most months out of the year meaning they spend more than they bring in every single month. Why do we do this? Why are we like the rich fool that we just think this preconceived notion that comfort, security, and trust is is found in something we can put our hands on? I think we really like stuff. We like to treat yourself. We struggle with greed. We struggle with it wanting to be mine. We, like fools, are often chasing things that we think will give us comfort and value, but they don't. We want that nicer car, just one more set of clothes, the next phone, the bigger house, the latest piece of technology, just one more pair of shoes. So when we need to ask the question, really, is getting some perspective on our barns, if you will. Because remember, the problem is not what's in the man's barns, it's what his view on the barns was. It's not the problem that he had a bumper crop. God apparently blessed it and it produced It says the land of a rich man produced plentifully. I don't know if you've ever done any gardening or or farming, but in all the years that I've done it, I can't make anything grow. (laughs) Nothing. Try really hard one year, it's beautiful. Next year, the exact same thing, nothing. So God had to bless it. So let's get some perspective, if you will, with just simple three heart check questions. This morning, when you think about your trust, your security, and your value in your life, wanting to trust Jesus with all you are, three heart check questions. In your life, getting from some perspective on your barns. Number one, what are you not willing to give up? Like really. What are you not willing to give up? The antidote for our lives to greed is actually generosity. It's learning to practically train our hearts to trust God with everything we are. And the constant test is, could I or could I not live without this thing, whatever this thing is? And for us, our hearts are either generous or they're greedy. They also can't be both. Just like you can't live wise and live like a fool, you can't live generous and greedy at the same time. But we have to target our hearts in all these matters and not just say like, if you just went and paid it forward, next time you're at McDonald's, you'll become generous. Just like, hey, I wanna pay for the car behind me. Like, that's great, that's wonderful, be generous. But if we don't target our hearts, we'll do one good thing one time and be like, 
great. Next time I feel convicted over this, I'll do it again. But we have to target our hearts in this matter. So how do you target your heart? I believe you start with your time. If you start with your time to study the word of God to see Jesus as your ultimate treasure. Study the word of God to see Jesus as your ultimate treasure and not stuff. As Paul says in Philippians 3, 8, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I count everything as a loss. But this is the thing I treasure. This is what I treasure. This is what I value, to know Christ. You have to train your heart and study God's word to, for this end to see Jesus as treasure. And you could also, under this idea, is just pray to be free from the love and comfort of finances or wealth or material possessions at all. Just spend time with God. Say, God, help me, help me love you more. Help me treasure you more above all things that I can touch with my hands. Help me just love you and your word. To, to see Philippians 3 eight is my life first. I count everything as love just to know you. I want to know you. Spend time doing that. Second heart check question. About our things we can touch with our hands. Are you willing to sin to get it? Are you willing to sin to get it? And you're like, ah, I don't know about that. You know, I'm ask you a sub question if you feel like, ah, oh, that's an easy one. Do you sin when you don't get it? When you don't get that promotion at work, do you start bad-mouthing, lying, cutting people down behind their back or to their face? When you didn't get that present you wanted or you couldn't get that upgraded car package, well, this will do. But your heart still longs for it? Or do you get angry? Do you feel the need to lie? or cover up when you, when you get it or when you don't get it? How can you learn to trust your good heavenly father who's the greatest gift giver, who provides for all of his children's needs and as we'll learn next week, loves to do so. How can you learn to trust him? And when the answer is no, or the answer is not yet, or don't do that with that paycheck. That you learn to trust him and value him and, and treasure him in that. Number three, what's the source of your trust, really? If you can be honest with yourself and with God in this moment, like, what's the thing that I can hit my head and rest well? What's the thing? Is it your bank account? Is it your assets? Is it your homes? Is it your cars? Is it your comfort? Is it, is it your stomach? Is it, what, what is the thing that you trust in security? Or is it the God you worship? Many of us 
we trust in other things practically more than we trust in Christ. And so here's, here's a challenge for you of, is to simply make an assessment of yourself this week. Of like, what do, what do I trust in? What do I trust in really in my life? And then I want to challenge for many of us to train our hearts as an act of worship to trust God by following the set, set of Apostle Paul to, to give back to God financially on a regular basis. The way that Paul would train the Corinthian church in Corinthians 1.16 is he says it like this. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints as I directed you the churches of Galatia. So he says, this is the principle I taught Galatia. This is the principle I'm teaching you. This is the principle we need to teach to us. So you also are to do. On the first day of the week, each of you is put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So there will be no collecting when I come. So it should be a, a regular basis of setting aside and giving back to God and, and all the things that you have so that when I come that we don't have to shake the plate at anybody to fund missionaries to do ministry we give back to God on a regular basis trusting him as our ultimate authority our ultimate provider and the giver of all things good we want to choose to to trust him in this simple way because we acknowledge him as our giver Jeremiah would write it like this about trust he says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart is turned away from the Lord. Taking the note from Jesus of what he desires for us is for our hearts to be turned and aligned with his. So if you would, would you get in a prayer posture that you feel comfortable with just to allow God to search your heart that you would clear your brain space and just focus in on him just to spend time in his presence and to open our hearts up to him would you be bold enough to pray just a simple prayer of inviting God to seek you through those heart check questions to challenge you. To open up your hands and say, Jesus, I want to learn to trust you with everything that I am. Everything that I have. Would you pray a prayer? Would you simply just reveal to me in, the, in my heart all the all the things that I'm tempted to put my trust and security and comfort into. A status, a title, a, a job, a, an income status, a physical possession, like that you see value or security in something other than Christ. And would you pray to help the Holy Spirit have the, 
help you make a plan to seek Christ and to start with your, with your heart. To see him as treasure in your life. For some of you, you may need to start to see a plan to see God rightly in your life, to see him as the ultimate giver. Not as a killjoy or a taker, but as he, him and him alone as the, the giver of all things good. And would you be so bold to pray to the Holy Spirit to help you see the areas where you need to transfer your trust to Him. In the ways of your heart, in the ways of your hands, in the ways of the way you live your life, would you learn to trust Him? Holy Spirit, you teach us to trust you to love you to seek you and to live life by your power and following your lead and Jesus we take you at your word we desire to live generous and wise may we see you as the ultimate giver of life And the good father who loves to love on his kids. For any individual in this room who's hurting or has a misunderstanding of who you are as the ultimate giver. Would you work on all of us this week? Would you come alongside them and comfort them? Would you help them see you for who you really are? May we follow you wherever you lead. In Christ's name, amen.